I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show in this wonderful month of October. It's the spooky times. <laughs> and we, we've been doing some Chains episodes. Yeah, somehow this has turned into a thing. Yeah, I wanted to keep it rolling. So uh, we mentioned offhand it's a, it's a minor part of angels in america mm-hmm. but the, the the 1906 earthquake looms large that's where heaven crumbles in angels in america yeah so i thought i would go uh keep following things along and talk about that momentous occasion yeah i bet a lot of people died uh about three thousand estimated yeah this is an episode i'm surprised you did Mm-hmm. You keep stealing ones that are totally me. <laughs> I suppose so, I suppose. But uh, just at the top, this one's definitely going to have a bummer warning on it, because there were times when I was like researching and, and writing this outline where I would just turn and say, I, I gotta stop yeah, and put it away for the night. <laughs> so yes, the 1906 San Francisco earthquake is one of the deadliest disasters in American history, uh, with an estimated 3,000 dead It is also one of the most powerful earthquakes measured in the early days of seismology. So let's talk about seismology. Okay. This is the science of earthquakes. It was a word that was only 49 years old by the time of this earthquake. I I was expecting it to be less old. Really? Honestly. Okay. Yeah. Well, it it was coined in the mid-1800s by a guy named Robert Mallet. He set off gunpowder explosions and invented the first, like, seismographs and Ah. and used them to measure the the shaking of the earth from these explosions he would set off. Yeah. Now, the study of earthquakes is always inspired by the earthquakes themselves. The, The first empirical study was kicked off in the Enlightenment by 1755's Lisbon earthquake that killed 70,000 people. Dang! And basically destroyed the city of Lisbon. Yeah, that's a lot. So uh, fast forward to the early 20th century. We know that faults are involved somehow. They're definitely related. Mm-hmm. Not sure how. Uh, but we know that they're involved rather than being effects caused by earthquakes. That's important. In a paper published earlier in 1906, it was demonstrated that the Earth had a solid iron core, which was surrounded by a mantle of silicates. Mm -hmm. We still do not know what caused uh, earthquakes. Some people thought there were chemical explosions underneath the Earth's surface. Some people thought there was uh, these currents of motion, and every once in a while you get a splash, I guess, like, you know, whitewater rapids, and then that shakes the Earth above it. That makes sense. It makes sense. It's not true, but it makes sense. But like, I I see why they're like, oh yeah, maybe that. Maybe that. Yeah. Uh, Earthquakes were measured at this time on the Mercalli intensity scale. This is not a measure of the amount of energy produced by the earthquake, like our uh, modern magnitude scales, Mm -hmm. but uh, a measure of the effects of the earthquake. Okay. So you you had a bunch of Roman numerals and a, a word describing them. And uh, then a list of effects that that you would see. Like uh, a five was a moderate earthquake. Felt by nearly everyone, many awakened, some dishes, windows broken, unstable objects overturned, pendulum clocks may stop. 
That's how you know you're dealing with a five. Oh, I never thought about, like, pendulum clocks stopping. <laughs> That's cool. While a, a ten would be an extreme earthquake, some well-built wooden structures destroyed, most masonry and frame structures destroyed with foundations, rails bent. Ooh. That's pretty extreme. Yeah. So every few years uh, during the, the late 1800s, an earthquake hit somewhere in the Bay Area. Uh, the last significant one before 1906 was the 1898 Mare Island earthquake, uh, which was somewhere between an 8, which is, you know, the fall of chimneys and heavy furniture overturned, and a 9, buildings shifted off their foundations. Mm -hmm. the, these decades of intermittent activity are the most seismically active time in recorded California history. Oh, wow. Some people blame a lot of uh, man-made erosion caused by uh, the, the mining industry. That makes sense. For putting a lot of pressure on and around the fault, causing this uh, especially seismically active time. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, April 18, 1906, just past 5 a.m., a massive earthquake hit San Francisco. The epicenter was just offshore, or at least that is what current science... Uh, uh, generally believes, a mile west of the city. Mm -hmm. uh, modern estimates put the magnitude at 7.9, but it could have been as high as 8.3. Again, they didn't have these scales to measure with. They didn't have these tools, but this yeah. is our, our best estimate. Yeah. Now, that's the same magnitude, 7.9, as the 2008 Sichuan earthquake that killed over 87,000. Mm-hmm. Also the same magnitude as the 2002 Denali earthquake that killed nobody. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of factors that go into a disaster's effects. Yes. Where yeah. people live, the structures, mm -hmm. the proximity to water, and if something happens from that. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, San Francisco in 1906 was the most populous city on the West Coast, the Paris of America. Around 410,000 people lived in the city at the time, and thousands more in the rest of the Bay Area. It was the busiest West Coast port and the gateway to the Pacific. <laughs> the earthquake lasted 42 seconds and was felt as far as Oregon, Los Angeles, and Nevada. Uh, the Salinas River permanently shifted its mouth six miles south. What? It's a big one. Dang! Got some first-hand accounts of the uh, earthquake itself. My bed was going up and down in all four directions at once. While well, all about me, I heard screams, wails, and crashing of breaking chinaware and knickknacks. I was very quickly... Quietly. Yeah. Yeah, I was very quietly watching the clock on the mantel, which was doing a fancy stunt. <laughs> while the ornaments in the parlor, parlor could be heard crashing to the floor. Th this next one is from uh, a young child, I think five or eight at the time of the okay. earthquake. I was quite excited, so I raced to the front windows to look out. There I noticed some people running up and down our street, while others were curiously peering out their windows. We all hurried back to our rooms to get dressed. That must have been a school day, or I would not have taken time to wake up early to practice my piano lessons. <laughs> this last one is from uh, the, the famous Caruso, an opera singer who was performing the night before in Carmen. I remain speechless, thinking I am in some dreadful nightmare, or for something like 40 seconds, I s and for something like 40 seconds, I stand there, while the buildings fall and my room still rocks like a boat on the sea. 
And during that 40 seconds, I think of 40,000 different things. All that I have ever done in my life passes before me, and I remember trivial things and important things. I think of my first appearance in the Grand Opera, and I feel nervous as to my reception. And again, I think I am going through last night's Carmen. Then we run down the stairs and into the street, and my valet, brave fellow as that he is, goes back and bundles all my things into trunks and drags them down six flights of stairs and out into the open one by one. While he is gone for another and another, I watch those that have already arrived, and presently someone comes and tries to take my trunk, saying they are his. I say, no, they are mine, but he does not go away. Then a soldier comes up to me. I tell him that the man wants my wants to take my trunks, and that I, that I am Caruso, the artist who sang in Carmen the night before. He remembers me and makes the man who takes an interest in my baggage skidoo, as Americans say. They sure do. They definitely say skidoo. That is a very long speech that has nothing to do with anything going on. I just wanted to have the skidoo part in the episode. Skidoo! These are the things important to the great Caruso. He, He managed to get a train out of town pretty quickly. It was a guy the whole t- the whole time. My brain's thinking this is like a woman. No. Go help your valet. <laughs> You're not wearing a corset. So the initial death toll was reported at 375 people, but nobody took the time to make an accurate account of Chinatown. Of course they didn't. Uh, Donaldina Cameron, head of a mission for Chinese girls, said in her account, quote, The strange, mysterious old Chinatown of San Francisco is gone and never more will be. Hmm. Uh, uh, another celebrity count from someone who wasn't in town. H.G. Uh, Wells was in New York at the time when the, the news came down on the wires and he uh, talked about how Everybody's sure that San Francisco is going to come right back. They aren't that worried about it. One guy seemed really happy that Chinatown won't exist anymore. Oof. So on that Mercalli uh, uh, scale, we talked about a 10 before. This rated a 12. Damage total. Oh. Santa Rosa's downtown was leveled and over 100 died. And Santa Rosa's 55 miles north, if you don't have your California map in front of you. I do not. Uh, The State Hospital for the Insane in Santa Clara collapsed on the patients locked inside, killing 108 of them and 11 staff members. Uh, Some patients that escaped from the crumbling building were handcuffed and tied to trees uh, so that they couldn't get out uh, uh, permanently. Uh Uh-huh. Eight men in a sawmill crew died outside Santa Cruz when a landslide buried their cabin as they slept. Aww. Uh, The biggest damage, though, came not from the earthquake itself, but the fire. The conflagration went for four days and nights. That's a long time. It's a lot. It's a lot of fire. Dennis T. Sullivan was San Francisco's fire chief, and by all accounts, a a capable one. However, he died when the earthquake toppled a building onto the firehouse where he lived. So he could not be uh, uh, reached to manage anything. Specifically, a wall collapsed on a bedroom where his wife was sleeping. He rushed in to save her, but fell through a hole two stories. Ooh. Yeah. And when he landed, he was severely burned by steam from a boiler. He spent three days unconscious before dying. His wife did recover from her injuries and and survived. That's good, I guess. 
Now, many of these fires started from gas mains that ruptured in the earthquake. Uh, also, a lot of chimney damage. So when people would try to, you know, light a fire to live their life, thank goodness we survived. Whoosh. Oof. Yeah. One of these was ignited when a family tried to make breakfast after the shocks ended. Lighting the stove ignited the kitchen and it began to spread. Yeah. This is the infamous ham and eggs fire. When your fire's got a name, it's a bad one. Yeah. You don't want your fire to have a name. So the fire department showed up, Johnny on the spot, and they they opened the hydrant and nothing came out. The water mains were also busted. Y- yeah, that's that makes sense. So this specific fire burned down the St. Ignatius College, City Hall, and the Great Palace Hotel, a, a building built to be disaster-proof, much like the Titanic. Yeah, don't ever call something disaster-proof, my god! Especially in this era. We are a few years before the Titanic, but still. Just don't do it! You have cursed yourself. The early 1900s are the era of hubris. Uh, the, the Ham and Eggs fire then joined up with other fires around the city, and it became one indistinguishable mass of flame. Yeah. Now, a lot of fires started from the fire department trying to set up fire breaks by dynamiting buildings. That's just not a good idea. You collapse a big brick building. Brick doesn't burn, so the, the, the fire is hemmed in. Yeah. At least they use bricks. Can you imagine if it was like Chicago wood? There was a lot of wood construction in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. The late Chief Sullivan was a proponent of this technique. He, he believed in it, and he was the fire department's expert in the use of dynamite. But again, unavailable. Yeah. It had been used before in a fire in Baltimore, but the results there were mixed. Mixed as in sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Yeah. The the story about the dynamiting sometimes making things worse was covered up by the story of uh, all the other fire departments who came to Baltimore but couldn't hook up their hoses because there weren't yet standard size bushings. That's the story that hit the newspapers. The dynamite, nobody really knew in the end how good the dynamiting was or wasn't. (sighs) Standardization is important for rescue efforts. So uh, instead of dynamite, the city got 48 barrels of gunpowder from the military. Yeah, you know. Uh, They also had some black powder lying around. Some nitroglycerin got used in some cases. They all work the same. They didn't really know the difference between how they work, which is a big problem when you start lighting black powder to blow apart a wooden house. And oh, no, black powder is incredibly flammable. It's now just on fire. It's just on fire. A civilian, John Birmingham, worked in the manufacture of gunpowder. There there was like a powder works in San Francisco, and he volunteered to help explode the buildings. He was very drunk that day. Of course he was. And is credited with starting 60 fires himself. Goodness. He definitely got those buildings down, though. Just took a while, because they had to like burn to the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, we'll talk about the military presence more in a bit, but the, the U.S. military did move in to uh, help with the relief and restoring order, and in some cases, uh, shelling buildings with artillery to make fire breaks. Does that make sense? Another quote that I wanted to put in, With every report of dynamite, a flock of peacocks near us screamed in fright. It was so light that the birds in the trees sang all night long, which made it more weird. 
That is weird. It's pretty weird. A lot of the fire came from arson. Insurance policies did not have an indemnity for earthquake damage. That's how houses were even insurable in San Francisco. But they did cover fire damage. Yeah. So if you wanted to get a payout, you had to hope your building caught fire. And if hope isn't enough, you have matches. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the Navy was most successful at fighting fires because they could just pump from the ocean with their, their firefighting boats. Yeah. Naturally. They worked independently, and the waterfront was saved, uh, making the shipments for relief and rebuilding possible. That's good. As well as ferrying out uh, survivors and refugees. Mm-hmm. So in the end, over 25,000 buildings, over 490 city blocks were lost, 80% of the city was leveled, and losses estimated at a, in current terms, $9 billion. So with, with all of those losses, one impact was that over 20 insurance companies were put out of business. There goes all that life insurance. More claims to be paid than they had assets to pay them with. Yeah. Yeah. The Fireman's Fund Insurance Company uh, was based in San Francisco, and had $11 million of claims to pay and on only $7 million in assets. They also lost their entire office. Uh, some employees carried out the president's desk to, to save all the papers locked inside. And those papers are what they rebuilt the entire company from. Wow. A list of their investors and a list of their agents. That's yeah. all they had. So that that company managed to survive and grow because they issued they, they promised everyone, okay, you'll get 30% of your claim in cash now, 20% of your claim in cash later, and the other half we will issue company stock. Mm-hmm. So by the time that everybody was fully paid out, they could grow their assets and still stay afloat. Yeah. I've got some more eyewitness uh, uh, accounts of the fire. Th- this first is from a flatware salesman. Like like silverware? Yeah. Okay. I saved all of the sterling howl and flatware with the exception of a few flatware samples in the trays beside my books. Stock sterling and plated ware books. My house being in ruins, I knew not where I would land, but I kept the teamster going with a gun at his back until we were three miles out of town. I clip this quote after the story of him uh, hiring a a wagon at gunpoint. Ah. Yeah. Meeting a friend, I placed the goods in the parlor of his little cottage that had not been damaged much and I thought was safe. Then I hiked for home to see how the wife was. I found her sitting beside the ruins of what was once her home. But she is a brick. All Wednesday night, we guarded the treasures, but the fire kept creeping towards us, driving the people back to the cliff house, the western extremity of the peninsula. And Thursday, I was again forced to move the goods westward. The last stand was our backyard, two miles from the first stand. And I am now with our sterling goods, the remains of our beautiful office. So this guy had his priorities in order. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a letter written to his bosses at the flatware company. I I saved it all. Yeah. And then I hiked three miles back into town to see if my wife survived. But she is a brick. She's fine. Fire can't burn her. Uh, Let's revisit our uh, uh, piano kid from earlier. 
On our street alone, two soldiers were assigned that they had our orders drawn up. Among them were, stop looting, fire at robbers or looters. By the second night, another order was added, no lighted candles or matches in a building. If one wanted a light, one had to go out on the streets. These rules were difficult to follow, especially for families with babies or little children. Sometime during that evening, mother felt that she just had to have some warm milk for my baby sister, Virginia, who was just six months old. Cautiously, mother struck a match to light a sterno. Soon enough, an officer knocked at our door and ordered her to, Madam, put out the light, and if you do that again, I have to shoot you. She protested, only to be told that such was the order. Uh, and this one says, The same morning of the earthquake, while standing across the street from the fire, I saw a merchant of the city who was sobbing as though he were in mortal agony. What is this, Anne of Green Gables? Like, <laughs> mortal agony. Well, I was. it was the end of the world. <laughs> I was feeling pretty bad at the time, but could not help asking him what his troubles were. He said, don't you see the fire right next to my store? I have $10,000 that I will lose if my store is burned. I thought that I saw a chance for a store in a good location and offered him $500 for the lease of his place, just as it stood. And after much thinking and deliberation, he refused my offer. While we stood there 15 minutes later, his place burned fiercely. I then went home to my wife and children, whom I knew were worried about me, and in terror of more earthquakes. I could not stay very long, being restless, and went about town watching the city burn. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and then pick up on a, a plot line you might have noticed in one of those readings. <laughs> Yeah, when, when we checked in with our, our young child who, uh, who, who uh, was just coming to terms with the, the destruction around him, we heard about the, the problem of looters mm-hmm. and soldiers walking the streets. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a shoot-to-kill order outstanding issued by Mayor Eugene Schmitz to the 1,000-plus troops the U.S. military had put at his disposal. Uh, Over the course of the disaster, more than 4,000 of the military served in uh, San Francisco. Now, this was an illegal order. He had no authority uh, to do so, but it was enforced anyway. The the people of San Francisco believed they were under martial law and lived under martial law, even without I's being dotted and T's crossed. That doesn't really matter when people are knocking on your door and threatening to shoot your mother because she's trying to light a sterno can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bills were printed and posted around the city that, quote, the federal troops, the members of the regular police force, and all special police officers have been authorized by me to kill any and all persons found engaged in looting or in the commission of any other crime. Kill was in all caps. On, on these posted notices. Kill! That's what they did. Uh, some shorter excerpts. Uh, quote, A large number of men and women have been shot down for disobeying the orders of the soldiers. Another person said in a letter, Looters are being shot left and right. At night you'd think a war is going on because shots are being fired all the time. Oh, goodness. In the account of uh, Alice Studevant of the Salvation Army, 
Uh, she said that anyone starting a fire, even in their own undamaged house, was shot. Quote, corpses were left lying on Market Street after being shot. Goodness. Estimates run as high as 500 people executed in the streets, which is a higher number than the reported dead of the earthquake itself. Dang. Following the, this immediate period, there were 13 affidavits from special police officers, volunteer firefighters, and businessmen who each swore that they saw soldiers looting businesses and the unburned blocks surrounding uh, Sansome and Jackson Streets. This led to an investigation performed by the Secretary of War, future President Taft. Ah. The findings of these hearings were inconclusive. Of course they were. The soldiers had already sold, sold what they stole. Mm -hmm. Or eaten it. Or, or eaten it or <laughs> used it. So, like, there's no evidence. Mm -hmm. a, a wave of survivors kept moving uh, anywhere that they could uh, with what they could carry on their backs. Jack London, the novelist, was in San Francisco during the quake. Here and there, through the smoke, creeping warily and under tottering walls, emerged occasional men and women. It was like the meeting of the handful of survivors after the day of the end of the world. Goodness. Again, the ferry was running thanks to the Navy's firefighting and helped thousands escape the city. Over the week, the railroads ran without charging fares. Those that could run uh, uh, without their rails being torn up anyway. Uh, 225,000 people left by rail out of 300,000 who left total. That's a lot. So much so that the population of Oakland doubled between the 1900 and 1910 censuses. Uh, the, the various suburbs and the outlying parts of the Bay Area had a population boom as people left the city itself. Yeah, that makes sense. We don't have to go far. We just have to go away from here. Yeah, let's go a place where houses still exist. Yeah. To house the people that, that remained, uh, thousands of tents were shipped in and set up for survivors until more permanent housing could be built. Uh, people spent their days being pressed into clearing rubble, waiting in food lines, and killing rats to collect the bounty on dead rats. Oh. This was a sanitation effort to prevent the spread of disease. Ah. Collecting and dumping the rubble into the bay cost $20 million by the time that uh, stage of the process was all done. So their uh, shoreline changed, just like Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The U.S. Army took up charge of the relief effort until they withdrew at the beginning of June. Remember, this is April 18th. Mm -hmm. So uh, a month and a half of military occupation. Again, 4,000 troops in the city. In the immediate work, they pressed citizens to uh, clearing rubble at gunpoint, including another celebrity, John Barrymore. Oh! The, the classically trained headlining actor, ancestor of one Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, nobody in San Francisco could pay for the relief because their banks all burned down. Yeah. While the vaults were fireproof, it took more than a week for them to be cooled enough from the fire to open them and see what survived inside. Ah. Uh, $5 million was quickly raised from outside the city. $1 million from the U.S. government, the rest from philanthropists, charities, uh, some from the National Bank of Canada. There were stories of families across the West just putting loaves of bread 
onto uh, trains that they knew were headed west uh, to be distributed at soup kitchens. Just people donating whatever they had for these awful, awful people in awful situations. Now, these efforts kept people from starving, but it wasn't enough to rebuild a new life. The wealthy of San Francisco were pressured into footing the bill to build permanent houses uh, for those that could not afford one themselves. Mm -hmm. Speaking of houses, the army built 5,610, divided between 11 camps, which held a total of 16,488 people at peak. Mm-hmm. So again, that's not uh, uh, an overall total. That's just there was one day where there were 16,488 people. Yeah. Some people had already come and gone by that peak day. Uh, these houses were rented for $2 a month. And uh, your rent was eventually counted against the $50 purchase price. Oh. Uh, a rent-to-own situation. Yeah, yeah. Which is less than what they cost. These these were going yeah. for a loss. They were not great, no. but they were a roof and they were walls and you could cook inside instead yeah. of having to cook out on the streets. Yeah. The last camp closed in 1908. Another measure of the immensity of work in, in the rubble clearing and, and rebuilding the cable cars and everything, 15,000 horses were worked to death. In the 18 months following the earthquake. Oh, that's a lot. When people were, were drawing up, you know, the, the plans, setting budgets for these efforts, they included horse replacement. Just because oh, they knew there was no way to get this done ethically and on time. Yeah. Well, I mean, they weren't exactly ethical back then with horses. We are we are already talking about making John Barrymore clear bricks at gunpoint. Yeah. And thousands of anonymous people as well. Well, I mean, that those are surprising things. But like non-ethical animal treatment, not surprising. Yeah. yeah. But ooh, a lot of lot of numbers. 15,000. Uh so we we have a city that needs to be rebuilt on a Impressively and depressingly blank slate. Mm-hmm. Everything's up for grabs. Yeah. Anything's on the table. Daniel Burnham, 13 years after the Chicago's World's Fair, uh, proposed a grand new plan with wide Parisian-style avenues, uh, a big civic center, and the world's largest city park. So things that you would recognize as something Daniel Burnham proposes. Yes. Yeah. They didn't go for it. What? Uh, the, the major arteries were widened, though. Uh, the new civic buildings were built in a neoclassical style. There are elements of Burnham's proposal, but not the, the big the ticket plan. items. Yeah. Over 20,000 buildings went up over the next three years. During this building boom, carpenters could earn $4 a day. Uh, at the same time, New York City lawyers were getting a buck fifty a day. Oh, wow. Big yeah. difference. In demand. Yeah. And if you're earning $4 a day and your rent is $2 a month, can you imagine? You're, you're making out well. Can you imagine? Uh, the cable cars used to run on underground power lines. The rebuilding moved them uh, to overhead cables, those iconic, recognizable overhead power lines that... Uh, than San Francisco cable cars used to this day. What was the reasoning behind doing that? 
Was it, like, better? They thought, was it less likely to get damaged? I think there was twofold reasons, yeah. Everything that went underground got damaged. Mm-hmm. And if we put them above ground, then it's less we have to wait for to repave the streets. Oh, okay. Sort of a twofer. Okay. Yeah. Chinatown, as mentioned, was destroyed. Uh, the city's Committee of 50, an unofficial name given to the body that was working on rebuilding the city uh, from the ground up, had a subcommittee on relocating the Chinese. Of course they did. Uh, to push them to the edge of the city, as far away from everybody else as they could, while still keeping them in the city's tax base. Of course. Of course. People were not just saying in meetings, but writing in newspaper pages that uh, the land Chinatown used to sit upon was too valuable for them. Mm-hmm. So the people of Chinatown protested, and so did the government of China on their behalf. The leader of the Chinese delegation in Washington traveled to give the governor of California some regards from the Dowager Empress and her opinion that the only way to remove the Chinese from the old Chinatown would be to give them a place elsewhere that would be acceptable for their purpose when they might be willing to move. Uh, welcome back to the show, Empress Dowager Chishi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go back. It's in there. I like that episode. Uh, other city officials warned that if the Chinese were pushed to the edge of the city, they may just keep on going. And all that cheap labor could be uh, in Los Angeles or Seattle if, if we don't uh, uh, treat them right. We don't want you here, but we want you here for only certain things. Yeah, th- these were the nice racists. Yeah. Uh, in the end, it was easier to rebuild Chinatown where it was than to change all the uh, restrictive covenants on the books. All of the... This, uh, segregation uh, policies. Mm-hmm. Too racist to do their racism. Yeah. Yeah. The Chinese Exclusion Act was in effect. Uh, the the uh, immigration policy for people from China. It, it denied all immigration from China, except in very specific circumstances. You know, uh, experts, the, the incredibly uh, well-qualified, well-moneyed, and uh, uh, blood relatives of American citizens. Mm-hmm. But the fire destroyed all those citizenship documents for everybody. So anybody living could claim that, yes, I was born here. I'm a natural-born United States citizen. Please issue me my documents, please. Yeah. So now I, a U.S. citizen, am going to travel to China... Uh, meet some relatives, and oops, wouldn't you know it, I had a baby. Please issue me uh, something called a slot, papers for U.S. citizenship. Uh-huh. And now this, these are some very, very valuable papers that can be sold to anybody Yeah. to just write their name in. They were especially valuable for people who wanted to immigrate to the U.S. but had no blood relatives to sponsor them. Mm-hmm. Now, now they are the blood relative. They, they have their slot. Yeah. So the the fire did increase a a loophole uh, to get around this exclusion policy. Something good came out of it. You want to hear a bad thing? Oh, I'm sure I'm going to hear it. Uh, Well, I I mentioned those 20 insurance companies going out of business. Yes. 
and hundreds of insurance companies severely, severely affected, having to put together some sort of scheme to stay afloat. Mm -hmm. A lot of those schemes involved taking a lot of loans from overseas. A whole lot of money came into U.S. companies from abroad, and the U.K. raised their interest rates, ah. which reduced the global money supply and set the stage for the Panic of 1907. This is just like any money panic from the time when we were having lots and lots of money panics. Yeah. Uh, bank runs, bankruptcies. In fact, the, the biggest total bankruptcies of any uh, panic to date. And a big old spike in unemployment. Mm -hmm. uh, this volatility eventually led to the establishment of the Federal Reserve System in 1913. Ah. So the Federal Reserve is one thing that in a sense, grew from the ashes of San Francisco. Yeah. The governor of California assembled a team of 20 geologists, surveyors, and other scientists to use the event as a laboratory. Something big happened. Do whatever you can to make us prepared for the next one. Mm-hmm. So they mapped the San Andreas Fault and found it ran uh, more than 600 miles along the length of California. Yeah. Like, parts of it had been uh, mapped piecemeal, but, like, they were able to connect the dots and find the entire fault. Yeah. Uh, a geologist, Harry Fielding Reed, studied uh, the fault as part of this team and was the first to demonstrate that earthquakes are caused when faults rubbing up against each other want to move but get caught and gradually build more and more pressure until that pressure is suddenly released, mm -hmm. causing the earthquake. We know what an earthquake is because of this specific one. Huh. Scientists also studied uh, which buildings survived and which didn't, at least in areas that weren't, you know, destroyed by fire. And yeah. And artillery shells and nitroglycerin. Yeah. Uh, and, and they found a correlation between a building's survivability and how it is constructed and on what ground. Uh Modern building codes for earthquake zones are also directly descended from the reports that came from this team. Oh. So that's all I wrote about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a section on some, some well-known people who were involved, but instead I just peppered their quotes throughout, as yeah. you can tell. Yeah. And there was going to be a section about how uh, this disaster response, this immediate and forceful response... Uh, which led to, you know, th the city being recovered enough to host a World's Fair uh, nine years later. Mm -hmm. Compares with other uh, uh, efforts where you can't say that about New Orleans. Yeah. People are still dying in Puerto Rico. Yeah. So that's where it became too much of a bummer for me to continue. Yeah. But in all of those cases, the public investment was too low, too small. Mm -hmm. I mean, some far, far too small if, if you're going to rank the three. But even in San Francisco's case, they, they could have used much more uh, uh, public funding. Yeah. So that's all I have to say about that. Darlin', what have you learned? I've learned that this was a hard one for you. This was a hard one for me. You, you can't type 15,000 dead horses and have a good day. You just can't do it. No, no. The horses would have definitely ruined my day as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I 
closed my research. I, I saved and closed the uh, uh, document once I finished the section on 500 people shot dead in the streets. Yeah. For trying to... We don't know what they were looting, but I'm pretty sure a lot of it was food. Yeah, it probably wasn't any... It probably wasn't like diamonds that often. Yeah. Who's going to carry a piano? Yeah, like that bread's just going to sit there and go moldy. You might as well let some people eat it. Also, refusing to to be forced into work gangs, that's not something that should carry the death sentence. Personally, I don't think anything, anything should carry the death sentence, but come on now, let's be serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with this earthquake and, like, the damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never really heard quite so much about, like, the after effects of society there mm-hmm. and like what people were forced to do people being forced out racism like i mean you know what's happening but like the, <laughs> the, those stories i feel like get, right, get lost right. so they're just like look at this building that was destroyed not well we actually destroyed half of these buildings ourselves when we just started like using gunpowder mm-hmm. and not knowing what the hell we were doing it works the same as dynamite big boom it's fine it's fine yeah. Yeah. No. No. no actually, it no. It doesn't. It doesn't. It really doesn't. But yeah, if I were writing a play about the end of the world, if I wanted to to pick a moment where God abandoned the world, yeah, leading to the the madness that is the twentieth century, yeah, I'd be hard pressed to find a better moment. Yeah. Yeah. If that is my aim in, in pointing out the, the moment where everything changes and the 20th century begins, there you go. Yeah. I, I can also understand uh, Hobsbawm's pointing the finger at World War One, but he he has a different project Yeah, for, for his 20th century. Yes. We, we are looking at a, a city crumbling. Mm-hmm. The, the people feeling abandoned mm-hmm. because of Mother Nature. And if you want a real historian instead of just the, the clown shoes business I do, read some Hobsbawm. There you go. Yeah. With that, I think we're going to take a quick break and be back with letters and such. Yeah. everyone hello we got letters we got so many letters yeah kieran wrote us answering the prompt of play that everyone should read uh which is murder in the cathedral by t.s Eliot. i have very strong opinions about t.s Eliot, and they are not positive (laughs) and really they have nothing to do with his writing that might be an episode i one day have to do it's i think it's on the list (laughs) But yeah, so it's a play uh, that's about the murder of the Archbishop Thomas Beckett uh, by followers of King Henry II. And Kieran says it's a play about how people behave in a time of crisis and how people justify to themselves what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very relevant in 1935, and it's relevant now as well. Uh, Kieran also talks about favorite documentary since this was a prompt we were given, uh, is Keddie, which is about the semi-feral street cats of Istanbul. 
Uh, but it's also about the culture that allowed uh, these cats to roam the city, people who would feed them, support these cats, uh, and kind of the cultural clash with Western culture that's like, no, wild cats are a menace. Mm-hmm, Which, mm-hmm. no, they're not, because they eat rats yeah. and a whole lot of stuff. So anyone who <laughs> thinks that's wrong. They're good cats. There, we actually, in Chicago, there was um recently a serial cat napper. This dude who kept trapping feral cats and taking them to shelters, mm-hmm. like hundreds of them. Yeah. And the shelters are like, you have to stop doing this <laughs> because first off, they're fine. They're fine. They're doing good things, actually, in the city. We need them to help with the rat population. And we don't have room for them in our shelters. And we're going to have to, like, get rid of them. So he could take a page uh, out of Istanbul's book. Yeah, yeah. Just leave the cats alone. Unless the cat is injured, hurt. Like we're unable to fend for itself. Unable to fend for itself, starving. Leave it alone. It's probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Final gamer writes in uh, with a response about our Angels in America episode uh, as a UK listener, because right at this moment, after thirty years of pressure from activists, there's a new inquiry in the UK about uh, uh, the so-called tainted blood scandal where at least 4,700 hemophiliacs were given unscreened American plasma in the 1980s and contracted hepatitis C. Half that number also contracted HIV through the same plasma, with several thousand people with other conditions uh, being infected through blood transfusions. While uh, France, Japan, and Ireland have have held uh, their companies and government responsible for the negligent manslaughter, the the British government so far has not been. Although, it looks like we may be getting closer to to that wrong being righted. Thank you, Final Gamer. Joe wrote in uh, with a few things. First, congratulating us on Gexter Life 2018 and how successful it was. And thank you for being there. And I'm pretty sure this is the same Joe that provided a lot of the keys we were giving out in the to, to people in chat. Maybe. I'm like 90% certain this is the same Joe. So thanks, Joe. Joe also gave us a show, a show suggestion that we're not going to tell because secrets. Secrets. And answers the prompt of favorite spy being the boss from the Metal Gear series. I think somebody else gave that one too. I think so. She's great. Yeah. A lot of people I think say so. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe them all. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, Joe. She's got a wicked scar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't make any sense, but don't sweat it. <laughs> Some Something happened. Claritic writes in, I... Uh, Claritic writes in, keeping the tradition of uh, writing about a favorite thing that doesn't exist anytime we fail to give a prompt. So this one is an arcade game based on the Popeye comics and characters. Uh, Eat a spinach, punch a man, Popeye. There is a Popeye arcade game, but we're talking about the original unmade attempt uh, that this company was trying to break into the video game space from doing a lot of toys and and like analog games and cards and things and they thought you know what's really going to hit the market popeye uh turns out they they didn't get the rights but they had the game so close to being built they replaced popeye with a carpenter bluto with a, a giant ape and olive oil with some lady named pauline and that is where donkey kong comes from uh-huh 
And from Donkey Kong comes Mario and the entire uh, uh, series and Nintendo as uh, a heavyweight in the video game industry. All from trying and sort of failing to make a Popeye game. Nice. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Also, she notes that you are not wrong. The club pretty much is 12 Angry Men, but sports. Good. Yeah. Thanks, Claritic. One fine cat wrote in, uh, also congratulating us on a fantastic Gexter life. Thank you. And answers a backlog of prompts. So a favorite TV channel, probably Discovery, though for a long time it was sci-fi, spelled the original way, not Siffy. You can't copyright that, though. It's a perfectly logical name. Favorite mode of air travel, bush planes. Ooh. Uh, many years ago, they got to go on, on a family vacation to Alaska and flew in a tiny bush plane through the mountains, which was apparently amazing. Ooh. And favorite spy is James Armistead, a slave in Virginia during the Revolutionary War who obtained permission from his master to go fight in the army. Uh, and Lafayette used him as a spy, uh, and he infiltrated infiltrated the camps of Benedict Arnold and Charles Cornwallis under the ruse that he was like an escaped slave. Things went so well that Cornwallis asked him to be a spy on the Americans for the British and was like, yeah, I'll do that, but then gave them like false information. Mm -hmm. uh, after the war, he had to go back to being a slave, but did eventually gain his freedom thanks to Lafayette helping. Mm -hmm. Apparently changed his last name to Lafayette as well. Well, I guess there's no cool. greater way to say thanks. Yeah. I, I mean. We also have an answer to a play that everyone should read, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, uh, for no reason other than one fine cat likes it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good. That's okay. That can always be the reason. Mm -hmm. Also, everyone should watch Fiddler on the Roof. Who knew that this was going to be a thing that everyone was going to like? I guess. A question, a question posed to us by a, a yes, listener. A question that was posed to us about documentary. One Fine Cat has created their own prompt of what documentary should be recommended to me, Elena. <laughs> and that is uh, Wild Wild Country and Evil Genius, which are apparently both on Netflix. The one is about a cult compound in Oregon. Oregon. And the other is a true crime documentary about the only known instance of a bank robber using a collar bomb where the bomb actually worked. Well, that, I, you spoiled the ending. Uh, we also got some show suggestions, but shh, not gonna I will away. say at least one of them is on my to-do list. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so thank you, One Fine Cat. Thanks. Sam writes in, uh, and thanks us for covering Angels in America. Sam came to the theater as a whole, specifically through opera. And if you want to talk about uh, uh, a marathon viewing experience, why not uh, watch a company go through uh, the ring cycle one part per day? No. No. <laughs> I, I don't want to. But uh, a play that Sam thinks everyone should read is Our Town. Uh, they're in a production at the moment, so it, it's I had to read that. definitely on the mind. I think... I had to sit through a lot of people doing monologues from that as a freshman in college. In the American school system, if you read a play, it's, it's probably the one. If you read an American play, it's probably Our Town. If you read Shakespeare, it's going to be... Uh, this is a fun bit of trivia. It's going to be Julius Caesar... Because it's the only Shakespeare play where no one has sex. 
Yeah. No one has sex so, in Julius how, Caesar. Uh, TV gets it wrong where they're always saying it's Romeo and Juliet. They read all the time. No, Romeo and Juliet gets done almost as often because, you know, it's play. it's about teens. So it's the teens, teens connect. Like, okay. Yeah. But Julius Caesar is so overrepresented in high schools, way more than, you know, it's ever performed yeah. or produced because they never have sex in that play. I think our town's just been, like, ruined for me by how... <laughs> overdone audition monologues were from it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to hear anyone re- saying the same monologue again, <laughs> ever. Three of you are doing the same one in this voice class. I can't. <laughs> but Sam also recommends A Few Good Men and An Enemy of the People by Ibsen, a play about the suppression of scientific evidence by self-serving business owners written in 1882. Mm-hmm. This is way before Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Or the UN report on climate change. Yeah. So thank you, Sam. And Ian writes in with a bit of uh, lateral thinking, some creative problem solving. I said offhand because I wasn't providing a prompt that, that this episode could be ketchup for everyone else. So Ian wrote about ketchup, the, the sauce, <laughs> the condiment. Good job, Ian. The word uh, probably descends from a Chinese fermented fish sauce that the British encountered in 17th century Vietnam, uh, which had a long, long shelf life and a pretty heavy flavor to be added to meat or fish. Early Western attempts to recreate it used uh, things like anchovies, walnuts, a lot of mushrooms got, got experimented with, leading to a thinner, browner ketchup. Uh, tomato ketchup didn't appear until 1812 uh, with a recipe from James Meese, which called for tomato pulp, spices, and brandy. In the 19th century, it was hard to, pro- it was hard to produce uh, uh, commercially, uh, and pretty dangerous preservatives like coal tar Ugh. were thrown in there to, to catch the eye and the buyers. Uh, but Henry Heinz developed the first commercially viable preservative-free recipe in 1876, dominating the market and becoming synonymous with ketchup to this day. That's why nobody makes their own ketchup anymore. Yeah, no. Uh, There are non-tomato-based ketchups still popular outside the West, notably banana ketchup, which is pretty Mm -hmm. common in the Philippines. Ever since uh, the Second World War created a shortage of tomatoes in the region. What do you put banana ketchup on? What What is that for? Ah, uh, hot dogs, I guess. Or walnut ketchup. <laughs> what do you do with that? Uh, that sounds hopefully like you're some, not allergic. That's something that's going to make a comeback and be used by, like, vegans. Yeah, walnut yeah. ketchup. Yeah. Because the tomatoes are, oh, you don't want to use beefsteak tomatoes. Go to walnuts. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. And thanks to everybody for writing in. If you want to send us a letter, those can go too. Historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your stories, your questions, your, your corrections, uh, anything you'd like to share, including our regular prompts for episodes. And dear, yes. one of our annual specials is coming up uh-huh. next. It is time for the Spookums episode, which means it is that time of year where you get to share your spooky stories with us. Do you want to make it more specific? No, I don't know. Okay, because I would love to hear about people sharing spooky stories that actually happened to them. Ooh, yeah, tell me your spooky story. What is What happened to you? <laughs> 
And what made you start to question what you believe in? And again, all these letters uh, can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. While you're out there, thank you very much for uh, uh, getting in touch with us. Why not uh, give us a rating and review, though? It is our favorite holiday. Consider it a gift. Your five stars on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or or wherever else goes a long way and does a great deal. Thank you very much. You can also tell a friend. It is that time of year where we are gathering with the spookums. You mean flu season? Yes. And sometimes (laughs) lots of candy is involved. And... Share a spooky story with your friend and then be like, hey, you want to hear some more? You should go listen to this podcast. 15,000 horses died that day. (laughs) Think of all their ghosts. Well, 18 months, one day. You got to do a little punch up for for the campfire stories. The thing I've learned most out of this episode is San Francisco is so freaking haunted. It's incredibly haunted. Lots of dead horses roaming around. If buildings had ghosts, oh, you don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can also get in touch with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at History Honeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, I, I guess that's all we have today. Please enjoy uh, the holiday season as it begins. Uh, th- those of us in the northern hemisphere, I hope you enjoy the the seasonal shift. It's I mean, everybody's really, getting a shift. It's just the direction it, depends. It's suddenly winter here. Mm-hmm. We did not have fall. And with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.